Welcome listeners to Creators and COVID, a podcast where I talk to creatives about their experiences coping with the coronavirus pandemic. Whether you started a new business and made something incredible or barely managed to survive with your sanity, we want to normalize those stories and create an archive so that the future can look back at our experiences and learn about the many forms coping and surviving take on in a global crisis. It was hard enough to adjust to the changes of creating content during the pandemic. Imagine, as an actor, adapting to these changes while also fighting to hold industry giants accountable for some serious harms on set. Thus, on top of risking his life by acting, working during the pandemic, Ray Fisher had to risk his career, not just for the pandemic, but for justice. And not just for him, and not just for himself, but for several people who also had stories of harm. Join us as we discuss not just creating in COVID, but also facing that moment when it's your craft or it's justice. How do you choose? How do you keep yourself from going mad as you fight and have the industry giants coming for your neck? How do you continue despite the backlash? We will answer these questions and more on this bonus episode of Creators in COVID, episode 11. Mr. Fisher, um, you have been the talk of the week <laughs> with this uh, article with uh, Josh Whedon just kind of, you know, putting your name out there and, and, you know, the fandom. But you've also been in this amazing show called Women of the Movement. Um, and people have been talking about your performance, which is kind of I think it's 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 kind of ironic that, 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 you know, you've had this thing come out with with, you know, Josh Whedon saying that you are a bad actor. And then you've got this amazing performance of the finale of your series where that, that kind of blew everybody away. So um, I think you've kind of proven without speaking that, you know, um, the, that what he was alleging was not true, but I want to talk about um, this, the series and your work and, and we'll get back around to this article and, and the, and, you know, those complaints and that the, the chattering that just that Whedon did in, in the, the um, New York magazine. Um, I want to talk about your time shooting women of the movement, because I know that there were some very, very unique uh, situations, uh, um, circumstances going around getting into Mississippi. And then it was before the vaccine was ready. Um, yeah. Could you talk about that and, and talk about, you know, how you were able to work 
under those yeah. conditions, like mentally get get it together. Well, it was it was precarious to say the least. Uh, luckily, the folks at Capital Entertainment and ABC and the folks who were in charge of all of our COVID protocols they did not play any games and they spared no expense when it came to testing, making sure folks had masks, making sure we had all the the personal protective equipment and sanitizers, all of those things. Uh, we even went so far as uh, to uh, usually what you do is you you'll find some housing if you're on location somewhere, right? Or they'll put you up somewhere, and you may be in a hotel. You could be there with po- folks who are just visiting in town from other various places or things. But uh, what they did is they bought out an entire hotel in Greenwood, Mississippi, and two in fact, uh, because our our cast and crews were so large. So I uh, in one hotel we stayed in the Holiday Inn Express, right? I we had we were top to bottom. They had a production a production office on the lower level, right on the lobby side, and then it was a lot of the actors and uh, crew staying in there, as well as a hotel down the road. So that was the first major difference that I noticed, right? I didn't have my own sort of like housing or space. It felt more like what it would feel like to be in a in a sort of regional theater environment, right? You'll have like theater housing where you'll all collectively as a group stay together, that sort of vibe. Um, and it was nice because it was different than what I was used to, particularly with dealing with film and television. Um, but at times, you know, you could feel a little, you could feel a little cramped in. We had a great crew of folks with us and we were able to, because we're in Mississippi, there's a lot of open space. We're able to sort of drive around, walk around, do whatever you wanted to do without having to worry about bumping into folks, right? There's a lot of open, just air and land and in Mississippi. Uh, and a lot of it is really, really beautiful. Um, this would have been, this was my first full production since COVID had, uh, COVID had started. I had done a couple days on Zack Snyder's Justice League in 2020, right? October. So I got a sense as to how uh, the different zones and, and protocols would work. And for those who are listening, I, what a zone would be in film and TV is essentially you'll have something called zone A, zone B, zone C, zone D. And basically any folks in zone A, which would be like the actors, uh, the director, anyone that would be taking their mask off during any point in time in the production. And those who would be as in close proximity to those folks would be zone A. So they'd keep you in your own sort of COVID bubble, right? Zone B, you take it one step further, you take one step out. These may be folks who aren't necessarily interacting with folks that are going to have their masks off on the on the regular, but they may be in the vicinity of other folks who will. So those would be zone B folk. And then it sort of spreads out in that way. So uh, I got a quick lesson in what it could be like to shoot uh, something in COVID from doing the work on Zack Snyder's Justice League. But then when we went into Women of the Movement, it was being fully immersed into a 24-7 COVID protocol situation. You know, we're getting COVID tests uh, at least uh, at least twice a week. Uh, and I believe you got tested, I think, every if you were working, you were getting tested most days. Um, you know, you have a lot of folks who are coming in. You have a lot of background folk who are getting tested, who may be coming in from elsewhere and may not be under our COVID bubble the entire time. So you'd have to test those folks every day they come to set. Uh, Like I said, it was a pretty intense, it was a pretty intense process. But once we got the hang of it, once we got through the first like couple of weeks and started getting the flow, uh, it really started to, it it really just felt like, (laughs) 
it felt like a, a commonplace, right? You get your coffee, you eat your oatmeal or whatever, you go downstairs, somebody sticks something up your nose, and then you you go yeah. about your day. You scrub right? your brain and you, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it it it's it started feeling weird on days where you're like, oh wait, I don't have to get this thing jammed up my nose. Okay, all right, <laughs> fine. Um, so that was one of them, that was definitely a, a super unique process. Um, and luckily everyone there was super respectful of the COVID protocols because, you know, if one person gets sick, you may have to shut down like an entire, mm-hmm. yeah, an entire day or two of shooting, right? Or potentially mm-hmm. depending on who it is. Uh, thank God, you know, uh, Adrian didn't get sick during the process, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, that would have shut down most of production because she's in like every scene. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. And on top of that, when we were down in Mississippi, we ended up having a freak snow slash ice storm. Yeah, down that way, which shut down production for a full for a full work week, right? Five days of production wow. and then shut us mm-hmm. down through the weekend. And folks really tried. Like they were we were trying to figure out like what you can shoot, you know, when there's all this ice. But you know, Mississippi just was not equipped to handle icy roads. Uh the car that I was in, uh, I had a a black Ford Mustang that I was given by a rental company because, you know, they, there was some sort of like mix up and, and in order to apologize or make up for it, they were like, how about we just give you a Mustang to ride around in, right. For mm-hmm. four months. And I'm like, okay, cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Nice. Uh, but I, couldn't, the... I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get it out of the, out of the driveway. The wheels are just spinning. Like I literally just left it. I was like, well, when the ice and snow melts, that's when this car will be getting. Moved. So <laughs> it became this interesting COVID sort of um, it, it, this COVID bubble right? Because we're all still trapped. It became this shining ice storm bubble in a hotel because we're trapped in this hotel trying to figure out, you know, what we're all going to do. And uh, people really rallied together, right? If it wasn't, you know, having to rally because of COVID and rallying because of the ice storm and also rallying because of the importance of the work that we were doing down in Mississippi. So I, it, it, it was a bonding, uh, a bonding situation for us all. And I've got a a picture on my fridge of some of the crew we would hang out with down there. Uh, you know, folks made refrigerator magnets. Uh, and yeah, it's just little sweet souvenirs like that. So yeah, really, really great time overall. But um, still a very precarious one because, you know, we don't have vaccines at that point in time. And uh, as they were starting to roll out the vaccine, you know, folks on production, uh, initially, I don't think they were giving, uh, they weren't, they weren't considering what we were doing to be essential work. Uh, And so we Mm -hmm. weren't able to skip the line to get vaccines. And then Mm -hmm. I think at some point it shifted where they were like, well, we're considering productions to be essential. Right. And I do get the logic behind it because ultimately if you can provide folks with some sort of entertainment that would in turn keep them in the house and keep them social distancing, Mm -hmm. then it makes sense to me why you're like, look, don't shut productions down because once you run out of content, folks get bored, folks go outside, folks keep spreading and Mm -hmm. it just becomes this, this this whirlwind, right? right? So I remember being down there and I got my first vaccine shot down in Mississippi. This was in some sort of uh, national park, uh, really close, really close to Greenwood. I think it was either in Greenwood or like like just outside of it. Okay, hang on. You um, got your you got so, a vaccine at a national park? Essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go so ahead. They had. They had uh, <laughs> They had, I guess it was like a National Guard set up there, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the folks who were serving in the National Guard, or it could have even been, it could have even been the Army, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. Uh, there was this drive-through um, vaccination spot uh, in Greenwood, Mississippi, that we would ride through. And, you know, it, it almost felt like you were going kind of like through a drive-through of a restaurant. 
but the restaurant just so happened to be serving, you know, Moderna and Pfizer. <laughs> and so, oh my um, goodness, it was, it's so country. Oh. <laughs> and I say that yeah. having lived in Arkansas for an extended period of time. That- yeah. And listen, my, my thing is, it, it actually seemed pretty. It actually seemed they had it lined up really efficiently. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what really impressed me. Um, because you're not having to wait in an office, right, and potentially mm-hmm. getting or giving COVID. It's a it's in your car. I'm sure the folks who were giving the shots were vaccinated already, right? Um, you get it. You drive off into this like waiting area. You wait 15 minutes. They have somebody come to your car to check to make sure you're okay that you're not and that you're not experiencing any adverse. Uh, reaction, and then you just you just drive off. You'd never have to leave your car. And I, I think for some folks, efficient. the convenience of it, it's efficient, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, as I learned down there in Mississippi, they've got a drive-through for just about everything. Yeah, and so they've got drive-through <laughs> liquor stores down there too. Yeah, drive drive-through <laughs> oh, liquor stores. Oh, in the in the got... wet counties, not in the dry counties. Yeah, gotcha. did you learn about okay. that? The dry county, wet county thing. <laughs> I did not learn. I think the, the county that we were in was a wet county. So uh, I didn't do too much like venturing outside of. Um, mm-hmm. We spent some time in, in Memphis, Tennessee, and that's definitely a, a wet county as well. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was pretty efficient. It was just a matter of making sure that folks get protected. Right. We had some mm-hmm. older folks who were in our cast and crew. And once they once they were like, hey, listen, here's the age requirement. Those folks went in, got vaxxed like immediately. And then as they started rolling it out for the rest of us, you know, everybody was doing their part to go in and get it done, you know, so. Yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing that that the production and the studio were um, on top of it Um, because you were you were in a state that was having trouble uh, to say this, put put this nicely to having trouble still um, facing the reality of the virus. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, And so. That was it hard to kind of go out. Um, you said you you guys weren't around very many people though when you did go out, right? Um, well, did you encounter any of that well, or any of the politics of the time? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I remember, yeah, I remember the politics. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. the politics because at some point in time, I believe it was both the governor of Texas and the governor of Mississippi simultaneously uh, rescinded the mask mandates, mm-hmm. and I remember that sending uh, a shiver up our collective spine. Right, so you'd you'd have to go. You'd have to go to the store to go grab food and, you know, groceries and all that. And uh, it, that was generally the most interaction you'd have with people outside of the cast and crew during a day is just going and getting that. Because you're also, remember, you're staying in a hotel. Uh, we don't necessarily have like a massive kitchen available to us. So you're having to, you know, scrape and scrounge, find, find what you can find and also maybe get takeout, that kind of thing. Um, and that at that point, I remember there was like a, a collective like shutter because, um, you know, you go from having the bare minimum of protections to having like nothing at all. And, you know, it only increases the the risk and potential anxiety uh, for folks to for getting this. So uh, I remember that very specifically politically. Um, uh, I, yeah, no. And everything else, to be honest, I, I think most of the workers that we were encountering were still wearing masks, which was great because I think you know, uh, I think folks, I think restaurants and establishments were leaving it. It was left up to them as to whether or not their employees were being required to be masked up. And luckily, a lot of the f- places that I would frequent down there, uh, folks were still masking. If if not the patrons, then absolutely the uh, the workers there. So um, my, my hat's off to the folks down in Greenwood, Mississippi, for helping us get through that time because, you know, they're, they're on the front line. Um, and I cannot express it enough. I know a lot of people overlook uh, folks who are working in these stores and these restaurants and 
you know, I think when COVID first hit, you know, we were all super appreciative because we understood just what the risk was, but the risk is still as great as it is, as it was back then. And so I, I don't think it's, I think we, we need to make sure that we don't forget to continue to be appreciative of that. So I want to say thank you to the workers down in uh, Greenwood, Mississippi for, for doing what they did. And, and yeah, and it's great that they, they did, you know, um, help you guys out. I mean, um, Especially in, during that time, because it was it was a really confusing political time. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I just want to remind everybody listening that if you go back to episode one uh, with Steve Kassan, um, the actor from Toronto, um, friend of the, you know, uh, the D.C. fandom, um, we talk about what is essential and who is essential. And, you know, he's a background actor. So we had a big conversation about that. Um, so go back there if you want to hear more about, you know, the the essential worker um topic um so you're here you're 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 kind of cooped up (laughs) you know in this place space what did it was it harder for you to kind of get into character for gene mobley or you know or what did you do to kind of overcome some of that you know maybe claustrophobia anxiety if you had any of that Oh, well, for me, I think the COVID anxiety was outweighed by the desire to do a great job at this, right? Uh, Luckily, uh, you'll notice in the in the series for a lot of the characters, we're wearing very little makeup, right? Very little or or, or in in some cases for some folks like little to none, right? Um, And so I I think one of the biggest time issues for folks has been when you're wearing a mask and you take that mask off and, you know, makeup and hair and wardrobe, all of that, you it takes longer for people to go ahead and touch you up and get you ready again, right? And when when someone says, okay, we're going to places, zone A everybody, and then everybody starts taking off because we had, you know, the goggles and face shields, masks, some people were wearing double masks. I, you know, they'd say, okay, we're going to places and, you know, you're primed, you're amped, you're ready to go. And then all of a sudden you're having to wait like an extra like two or three minutes, but you may have put yourself mentally in the place you need to be to start the scene. And then when the scene starts, you may not be there because there's something that's like distracted you, right? Like you may, like there may be, there may be somebody who, who, uh, you know, instead of giving, put, putting the mask away, it's like dangling out of pocket a little bit. And it's like a bright orange mask and it's like kind of distracting. Right. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. you, you, there are all these like little things that I think kind of get you right. It, I will say the folks that were on set, like a lot of the background folks, you know, they did phenomenal jobs in figuring out where to place and hide their masks at any given time. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the ladies had purses and, you know, obviously the guys can put their masks in their pockets, but like face shields, all that stuff. Uh, for folks who were in zone A, we had someone who was specifically designated to go around and make sure they, you know, grabbed all the masks, kept them in spe- specially signed Ziploc bags. Right. So you didn't get them mixed up. Um, and, but for like a group of 50 people. When they yell background masks off, and then everybody takes their mask off and collectively like hides it in their like <laughs> in their different whatever compartment, right? They want to put uh-huh. this thing in. Uh, it, it was just it's like really impressive to watch like how everybody yeah. came together in that way. So, yeah. but uh, back back to your back to your point. Um, on the Gene Mobley side of things, I don't think it was a uh, I don't think it was a big a huge distraction uh, for me. I once I was able to get into the skin of Gene, this idea of being a person who is there to be of service and to be there for someone when they're going through the toughest time one could imagine. Right, this is an atrocity that that I mean. 
even watching it, I still can't imagine what it would feel like, right? On the other side of that. I Once you get into that zone and you, you say to yourself, hey, listen, I'm just there to help. I'm just here to help. I'm just here to help, whatever the cost, whatever the circumstance, um, you know, the rest sort of takes care of itself. And uh, I remember, you know, joking with uh, MJ and uh, Adrian, and I think it might have been... Uh, might have been uh, Tina Mambry. We might have been on episode two or three and Tina directed episodes two and three. But uh, there was one point in time uh, where I was asked a question about something like, well, what do you think, Ray, about this or that? And I go, well, hey, listen, this this is women of the movement. This ain't Gene Mobley of the movement, right? <laughs> it's whatever y'all want. So uh, being, being able to keep that in mind and say, hey, listen, you know, I know I'm in good hands. Whatever you feel is going to serve the story best to go ahead and, and help the legacy of Mamie Till Mobley shine, like I'm good with that. Like, and I, I think Gene himself would have been very much of that same mind, right? Uh, in talking to Reverend Wheeler Parker uh, uh, and um, uh, Christopher Benson, who wrote, who co-wrote, uh, co-authored the uh, Mamie Till's autobiography, um, you know, they both said that Gene was definitely a man of service. And uh, Christopher Benson was like, you know, there was one thing, he, he said he remembered seeing an interaction between Mamie and uh, Jean, you know, when they were much older, right? And uh, Jean had done something that Mamie didn't like, right? And Mamie looks over to Jean and says, Jean, next time you, you're going to go ahead and do something like that, think Mamie. Just think Mamie. <laughs> and so uh, uh, Christopher Benson told me, he said, you know, he ended up writing that down and putting that on his workstation. So whenever Whenever he was going through the piece, he would just be reminded to quote unquote think maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. I think that's a that's a good actually advice for everybody, I think. Um, so did just you have maybe. it? <laughs> yeah, think maybe. Did you have it on your hand or something somewhere just to kind of remember? Or <laughs> well, I didn't find that out until we were on press tour because I hadn't had a chance oh. to meet Christopher Benson or or mm-hmm. Reverend Wheeler Parker until after that point. But I once they had said that, I go, ooh, that makes a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. you know. I was already kind of doing that by just getting hands off with the project, right? Mm-hmm. Getting hands off when it came to uh, uh, to certain things. And I was like, oh, we were doing that without knowing it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good practice. Yeah. Um, so it, it sounds like, I mean, you, you're you upbeat. It sounds like you you weren't affected by... Um, the about by covid and and everything or or you were taking it you were taking it pretty lightly i mean i know you're a positive person to begin with um you were also going through a lot and you had been going through a lot during the first part of the pandemic in 2020 um mm-hmm. with um and everybody everybody knows where i'm going with this you know where um Zack Snyder's Justice League a role that you probably i mean i know the fans and you probably thought never would see the light of day i mean the movie that came out didn't have your character in it in the role that it was uh, intended. And so when it was during the lockdown that we got news that it was going to happen, wasn't it? It was during the lockdown, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So you had that moment of knowing if this monumental character of yours that that had been kept secret for years is coming out and followed by this fallout with the studio because that character coming out also it, it seemed to open a, a Pandora's box uh, of sorts. Mm. How, what was that like for you, having that exhilaration followed by that, you know, th- that reveal of of this these kind of horrifying um, 
things. Well, I definitely felt grateful that the work would be shown. I felt grateful for myself. Obviously, I felt grateful for everyone that worked on the original production because it was it, it affected more than just myself. This this affected all of the people of color uh, who took part in what ultimately we now know is Zack Snyder's Justice League. But you know, this is this is five years essentially in the making, and it could have easily had not happened. So that for me was exhilarating i was like listen i don't need money i don't need the, the 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 fame or anything else i just want this thing to come out so that way there's some sort of completion to the thing right um then we're dealing with covid being what it is we've got a presidential election one of the most controversial and uh, uh antagonistic elections i mean we've ever seen we've got uh, uh everything happening with george floyd and black lives matter uh we've got uh, I mean, everything just seemed like it was happening in the summer of 2020. And for me, I, you know, there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that had happened in 2016 and 2017 that I wasn't privy to about the Justice League reshoot process until 2020. So uh, it just felt like the perfect storm in all of this information coming together and being in the time that we were in. Then I was like, you know what? I, with COVID, with everything else, like, <laughs> I may never get the opportunity to tell the truth. You know, you could have this crazy disease that just wipes through and you could you could be taken out through no fault of your own just because that's, you know, th this is where we're at in the world. I said, I'd rather the truth be out there now that I know it in real time. I'd, I'd want the truth to be out there because this is, this is too important for the story to be lost if, you know, no one else decides that they want to talk about it or speak up. So... I, there was a lot of, there was a lot of things. I think what kept me mentally focused was this idea of uh, helping to organize folks to be able to speak their piece to an investigator uh, for Warner Media. And uh, behind the scenes. While COVID, behind oh, yeah. the scenes, correct. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted mm -hmm. to clarify that. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, every day during COVID, you know, I'm following up with certain folks. I'm getting more information. Other folks are reaching out to me. Uh, through various means, some folks DMing me like, hey, here's a tip, here's this thing, and I'm having to go verify or, you know, I'm having to do essentially my own investigation before yeah. I present information to the investigator. And if I ever wow. get an opportunity, oh yeah, no, it's like, it goes so deep. And I know a lot of folks are uh, are wondering why I don't just go out and say everything and, and go, well, here's this, here's that, here's this, here's that. It's because ultimately it would compromise a lot of the folks who gave information and also folks who uh, gave information to me and also folks who gave information to the investigator. And that's one of the things that I said that I would not do is compromise the identities of individuals who participated in the investigation, lest there, lest there, become, lest there is some retaliation done against them. And I ultimately, you know, Warner and Warner Brothers, they know how much I can say or not say without pulling other people in. And so, you know, it's been this sort of back and forth with me being able to talk about things sometimes in a roundabout way, sometimes very directly. I and, you know, watching, you know, watching how the studio reacts and or scrambles to try to cover up the truth about the matter. Creators in COVID is brought to you by Vero. Vero is a social network designed for connection, not engagement. I love it because it's a place for creators to be free from the algorithm and where episodes of this podcast will drop first 24 hours before anywhere else with a conversation about the episode to follow. That's right. Come to Vero and you get to have a conversation with me, Jenny Davis, and all of my friends and fans over there 24 hours before the rest of the world gets to see it. Download Vero for free from the App Store or Google Play and follow me, Jonita Davis, and share your thoughts and stories. 
And now, on to the show. You know, I'm not deterred at all in the slightest by any sort of retaliation from Warner Brothers, Warner Media, or or anyone that's looking on. Because, you know, folks who have any sort of understanding about this business, uh, they understand that the things that I'm alleging are not only possible, but probable when it comes to this business. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a crazy, crazy business. And I think a lot of folks uh, looking from the the outside looking in, uh, I don't think they understand exactly how all of these things weave together. And so hopefully one, uh, one day, and maybe one day soon, uh, I'll be able to put together uh, a way for folks to understand it much better, right? Either be it a, a sort of like document, like an hour long documentary in the style of like a Colin in black and white, right? So that way you can give people visual reference so they can put it together for how this stuff actually works. But it would it would go into a lot of things, I think. It would go into uh, how access media affects all of this because, uh, you know, I ended up getting a very quick lesson about how access media works, uh, particularly in Hollywood. Uh, and, uh, you know, what's interesting is that it mirrored in a lot of ways. And one of the things that, I, that really drew me to women of the movement is that it mirrored in a lot of ways uh, what the media and how the media twisted the story that may, uh, of of Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley um, in order to try to elicit a certain response from America at large, right? You know, you control the media, you control the perception, you control the perception, you control really everything, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I've yeah. definitely stayed busy. Long mm-hmm. ramble short, I've definitely stayed busy. Uh, <laughs> I, I intend to continue to stay busy on that front. Uh, and I thank people for for staying on the journey with me because it's been a long time. It's been, mm-hmm. I thought about it the other day, I was like, it's been nearly two years now. Yep. And it's felt it like been. this time has slipped right by yeah but uh you know as we get closer to the truth you know by degrees i think one mm-hmm. of the first things i said was you know the truth will come as it always has and that's in time right yeah uh i, I knew that this would not be a short process and if mm-hmm. i told people from the outset hey you guys it's going to take two years for you know something to happen before you get like concrete information or you get a concrete or more concrete uh understanding that the people that we're dealing with particularly joss whedon jeff johns walter amata Toby Emmerich and the other folks who are trying to cover their tracks, it's going to be two years before we get to the heart of that. People would have been like, all right, we'll call me in two years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I think people have been able to maintain an interest and maintain uh, uh, and continue to scrutinize the situation um, because I've been willing to talk about stuff as it happens in real time and to keep and try to keep the fire going because, you know, it's easy to forget. We're talking about the entertainment industry. You know, their job is to distract you most of the time. And the news cycle goes so fast. Yeah. The news cycle. Yeah. I want to go back to what you were saying about the media because you really did have a series of hit pieces that started in the, it was around the summer and went through the fall. It actually still kept going. Uh, there was one, it's the still one Monday. Today. Yes. It's still um, happening today. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if people understand um, really what you're up against because it looks to them like, oh, um, because I've had this conversation with people. Oh, if there's news to report, the reporters are going to report it. But that's not exactly what's happening here with you. This is something that's more targeted in your case as well. Um, so how has that been for you? Having that, you know, again, like you said, just like Mamie was up against the media, you know, targeting her and tarnishing her, her child. How's it been for you having the media? um, You said a little bit about it, but what was it like when you found out what was actually going on behind the scenes and how it was happening? Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? I mean, it was, 
part of it was to be expected, right? I, I kind of understood how, you know, marketing and PR works for these big corporations, the big studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't understand necessarily how far the tendrils of their reach stretches. Um, for me, what I think has worked is being able to address what's being said directly, address it in real time. And if there are folks who are putting out information that they either know is untrue or they're just doing it at the behest of folks at the studio, like let's say you're Joanna Fuentes is at Warner Brothers Pictures, who was in charge at the time when Warner Brothers hit piece went out on me, right? The official Warner Brothers stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at when you look at who you're dealing with, eventually you're able to put together this sort of then this sort of like spider web diagram of who knows who, who's talking to who, right? Like you take, for example, like a Sean O'Connell, right? Who broke the news about Joss Whedon, quote unquote, stepping down, right? It's like, well, he knew full well that it had everything to do with the Justice League investigation, I'm sure. I'm sure he knew full well. But uh, ultimately, you know, that was not the angle of that piece. So you end up seeing how people are, you know, putting information out, right? Like you have your Joss Whedon's, uh, who it seems uh, was putting out redacted emails for for bloggers or YouTubers to to put up, right? Any sort of Screenshots. crazy, strange tactics that people could use in order to get their message out, they will use. And a lot of these folks, you know, they will take the bait because not even debate. I mean, they're choosing to participate. A lot of these these access media folk, they'll participate in that because they're looking to get the clicks or they're looking to further their relationship or looking to get in with the studio so they can get these exclusive interviews and what have you. So uh, being, for me, one of the strengths that I've had is being willing and able to call those reporters out directly when they are doing something that is unsavory, right? Ultimately, I, I think that sends a very clear message, not to that reporter, right? Because they've already put the thing out, but to other people that if you're going to put out a story like this, I'm going to go ahead and dissect every bit of your story. And I'm going to tell the entire world why your story is nonsense and who it is that you're talking to and why you're putting that spin on it. Right. I mean, Joss Whedon even now still has sycophants that, you know, will try to pad or, quote unquote, like spin the story in a different way to make it seem less less damaging because they're trying to preserve their behind the scenes relationships so uh, that for me, I think I actually enjoyed learning about different processes. I didn't know I'd have to do like some true detective level of like digging through all the all the nonsense. But, you know, I, I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I've had the resources available to me to be able to do so. So I don't think um, I don't think I think people are catching on. And I think collectively, you know, everyone looking at the most recent Josh Whedon article that was released for New York Mag. Uh, looking at that can absolutely say, well, number one, Joss Whedon is full of it. Like a lot of that, a lot of it, uh, and in fact, most of that article doesn't make any sense, right? You look at that piece and you go, this felt like they started off, uh, like the reporter was started writing this article in 2021. At the top of 2021 is what it felt like. And at the time they were going to get Joss's story and, you know, it was going to be this sympathetic piece for Joss. And then, girling, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they had to shift angle because as more information started coming out, uh, there was stuff that they could not deny. So they either had to risk, you know, looking like they did not do any due diligence to the entire world by printing out, putting out a, a Joss Whedon sympathy slash Zack Snyder hit piece. Right. Because there was a lot of information about me being manipulated and in turn manipulating Charisma Carpenter and Charisma manipulating Buffy folks to, you know, all this like mass conspiracy QAnon like nonsense 
um, that still made it into the piece. You could see what pieces were supposed to be there when this thing first started. And then as this reporter started doing their due diligence, right, actual due diligence, when other folks started speaking up, such as Gall and other folks, right, uh, they were forced to go ahead and take the piece into a different into a different place. So whether or not we didn't know it was going to be that when it came out, I have no clue. Maybe, you know, that's as best they could do with the actual information that they had. But, um, you know, that's an example, I guess, of something feeling like it's starting out one way and then sort of shifting. Right. And another. that's another mm-hmm. big tricky, tricky thing about the media is, you know, folks will use whatever tactics or at least access media. They'll, they'll use whatever tactics they can to, to talk to you. And they may promise you that the story is going to be one angle and then they can flip the script on you. You really have no control over that. Yeah. For me, um, seeing how folks can bend and twist what you say for me, being able to say what I want in my own voice, on my own feed, let people know exactly what I'm talking about has been my saving grace. Me trying to explain this to a reporter and having them, you know, do it one way or another, the story just gets convoluted. I'd rather you hear it directly from me, even if it's me putting a a two-page document on Twitter. I'd rather you hear it in long form from me than to get a piecemeal version from someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Instagram Live and yeah. (laughs) Well, and just I, keep I, it in contact with folks because, yeah. because that ultimately, what that shows folks is that number one, you're not hiding. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's going to make sense to them because, you know, I feel like I have an ability to explain what's happening in a way that makes sense to folks, right? Because I'm not, you do. I'm yeah. not trying to, t- I'm not trying to tap dance around or play the, I'm not trying to play the media game. I'm literally tackling the problem head on rather than going, well, let me not say this because you know, somebody may not like me or this person may not like me. And there's a there's a quid pro quo that happens in this game in every avenue, right? You have quid pro quos between uh, these unspoken rules and quid pro quos between access media and their contacts. You have that between actors and their, their representation. You have all these, all these sort of relationships, these interpersonal relationships happening uh, that end up getting taken into account. But, you know, for my part, the only way that I've been able to, I think, get any credibility from folks is tackling the thing head on and also just staying at it long enough for other people to make mistakes. And that's ultimately what's happened here is Warner Brothers made a huge mistake putting out that hit piece on me on September 4th. If they had just stayed quiet, uh, they could have probably tried to dismantle this thing, you know, from the inside and just leak the rumors and lies that they were going to leak anyway. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, Joss Whedon choosing to speak to this reporter at New York Mag was another mistake. But Big at the mistake. time, I'm sure I'm sure he did not know everything that was going to be coming out coming his way. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just stick with it. Uh, yeah. I think for me, one of the big things, one of the things I'm really trying to stress and forgive me because I'm rambling a bit. But uh, <laughs> one of the things that I really want to stress to folks is, you know, if you're if you're going into a situation like this ever, I uh, be it whatever, whatever, wherever you may work. Right. Hollywood's a very specific place. But, you know, I've never been one for bullies in any work environment that I've, I've been a part of. And, uh, you know, if you're ever going into a situation like this, do not lose hope. Do not lose faith. Um, and, you know, for me, at the end of the day, I know we're in the right when it comes to this. And that's why I'm able to keep smiling, right? I know eventually people will catch on. And uh, what I don't want folks to do, anybody that's thinking about doing something like this in their particular field, or even in Hollywood, is that I don't want them to get deterred and go, man, Ray looks depressed all the time. He's, man, he's, you know, this is really taking a toll on him. And while it is stressful, you know, don't don't get me wrong. It's a stressful thing. You know, I do have my North Star. I know where this is going and I know where I'd like to get whether or not I get there, whether or not we collectively, you know, in the in the pursuit of accountability over entertainment, whether or not we collectively get there. It's a completely different story. But uh, I know where I want to go. And 
I'm willing to take the ride, however long, however long it takes to get there. Yeah. Well, how? I mean, how do you stay up? Stay up. Stay. Stay. Um, so positive in the light of all this, because you're. I mean, this is a David and Goliath situation. You have a studio, <laughs> and you have. I mean, if you look at the Just Wings and the, the Walter Hermadas and, and, and Jeff Johns, there. These are huge person, huge people. They with power. You're an actor, you know. Uh, <laughs> you're just sometimes. an actor. Sometimes I'm an actor. I'm an actor. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> but I mean, this is this is your this is your craft that you're you're doing here. And how do you keep it from just making you throw up your hands and and saying I'm <laughs> I'm not doing all this and any of this anymore. I'm gonna go run off and you know do like they did in in the Heights and open a, a store in Puerto Rico or something, you know, or, or get a little beach beachside bar bar or something and. Just just hide from the world how what keeps you from doing that <laughs> well, what keeps me from doing that is number one i don't want this situation to happen to anybody else and i know you know if you start something like this and then you stop halfway through you give up it sends a really bad message to anybody else who might be coming after you to go ahead to that wants to go ahead and try to combat the same thing i, I can't give up because i want the folks who are going to come up after to go ahead and be able to if i can't carry the ball over the over the finish line like i want somebody else to be able to do that um also uh like i said i have my north star i know where it is that I'm going with all of this. And life is way too short. Life is way, way, way too short. You know, um, I think about how much time I spent on this earth. I'm 34 years old. I feel like I was 18, like two days ago, right? And by the time I turn around again, I'll be 50, I'll be 50, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and what I don't more than regretting, I know for a fact, more than regretting uh, being able to make more money or more movies at the end of my days, I will regret the things I didn't do to try to help other people. And this is this is a big point. This is a big turning point for me. You know, there have been other opportunities, there have been other situations in my career that I have not spoken about publicly where I've had to take a stand. But it hasn't been it hasn't had to it hasn't had to be public. Right. It, 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 it hasn't gotten to the public level. You know, there are different, uh, you know, people business-wise that you have fallings out with because they may do things in a way that doesn't gel with you ethically, right? And some folks just go, well, hey, look, that's the business. You know, you want to be a part of this or you don't. And for me, I'm like, look, if, I, if I'm if i going to be a part of this, I need to have it somewhat, uh, at least ethically, on my terms. The work is the work. Creatively, I mean, you're not going to find anybody in this business with the exception of maybe Jeff Johns, uh, Joss Whedon, John Berg, Walter Hamada, like all those, Toby Emmerich, all those guys. Who would say that I'm difficult to work with? I mean, you haven't heard anything of that nature from any of the other folks that I've worked with. You haven't heard anybody coming, anybody coming out of the woodwork going, oh, well, yeah, no, I agree with, you know, this, this estimate of, of, of race character from Warner Brothers pictures. Like, you don't hear that. Um, and so, you know, I know who I am and I think I've had enough time now to establish, uh, for folks who have been paying attention, you know, what it is that I'm about. And, you know, I always say like, definitely stay critical, right? Like nobody's perfect, but, uh, we're dealing with a multi-billion dollar corporation whose objective is just to simply make money versus a guy who's like, Hey, listen, I, money is not something that drives me. Money is not something that moves me. Right. At the end of the day, it, it does boil down to, well, who, who are you choosing to believe? Right. Who are you choosing to believe with the information that you have? Um, and who are you allowing to influence you? Uh, because Warner brothers definitely has a lot more money to spread their message wide, but I have much more ability. I have a lot more, I have a lot more ability to, to, to spread my message constantly. You know what I mean? And that's the, or consistently. 
And that's the difference, right? The studio having to uh, reply and respond to me uh, in the way that they have on multiple occasions, be it uh, putting out information that they didn't plan on releasing, right? <laughs> or fake information, Frosty the Snowman, whatever is right. That, that was like, hilarious, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, them having to scramble to figure out what they're going to do to stop, you know, whatever from trending on Twitter is, you know, for me, that that actually that indicates to me it's like, well, we're still winning this fight because for them to have to do that, that means they're scared. And at the end of the day, when you get scared, you start making silly mistakes and folks will catch on to it. So, yeah, uh, just like they did with this Joss Whedon piece. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm, but, okay. I'm not losing. I'm not losing heart. I'm going to lose that. I, I know, but it just feels like there has to be, I mean, do, is there like a yoga or, you know, what, what keep, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the zen, the, 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 the Borg life zen that you have yep. going on. Well, I had to take on the Borg life mantra. And for those listening for the first time, Borg life is a word we created. Uh, it means the ability to take the negative situations in your life and turn them into something positive to help other people. I had to take on that mantra even during the reshoot process, right? Ultimately, like I've had my friend's career sold over my head. I've had my career threatened, like all of the worst stuff that you could imagine. Like that's happened to me. That particularly happened to me years ago. Right. Jeff John saying, well, you know, if you don't do this, then uh, so-and-so may not get their movie or so-and-so may not get their movie. And when they saw that I, I was, well, that's when they saw I was concerned about whether or not I would be able to continue in that way. Right. Or continue on. They start leveraging that and saying those things about well, you know, so-and-so, you know, your friends may not get their opportunity, right? You're going to ruin it for other people. And then that's what ultimately, that's what ultimately starts to shift things for you. And you go, you get put in that weird Ned Stark situation. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you ruin so, the franchise, ruin that, you know, you're the one to take down the Avengers or the Justice League. You're the one to take down the Justice League. Yeah. And that's, and ultimately, you know, it's using those sorts of tactics that folks would do, particularly Jeff Johns, and mm-hmm. do it in a really like slimy way. Where you go, okay, I see I see the angle. I see the game. Uh, they may not be completely wrong, but the way in which they're using it is just, it's it's just, it's, it's manipulative. It's super manipulative. Um, so for me, all of the stress that I would have felt with dealing with these guys uh, in this way, it's, it's, it's gone. Like, I don't consider my fight to be against Warner Brothers. And I think this is what's really important to stress to folks. I consider the conflict that I'm in to be with the specific people at Warner Brothers who made this situation possible. Toby Emmer, Jeff, uh, Jeff, Jeff Johns, John Berg, Joss Whedon, and, you know, after the fact now, unfortunately, Walter Hamada, right? There are other folks like the PR, on the PR side, the Joanna Fuentes is, and, and Sarnoff, who was not there, is, clearly she just has to go to bat for her company, right? That's just what you're going to do. Um, so I understand that. But uh, ultimately, knowing that I'm dealing with specific people rather than trying to fight a faceless corporation is what allows me to go ahead and keep my, my laser focus, right? Um, that and my friends and family, they help keep me up, right? They know I'm not, they know I, I don't play when it comes to this kind of stuff. You know, I've never <laughs> been that guy. My, my grandma, she has always been like, uh, God rest her soul, she's always been a scrapper. And uh, when it comes to matters of race in particular, and I know one of the things that uh, people keep trying to dismiss is the erasure of color, of people mm-hmm. of color in these movies. And I think mm-hmm. it's important to continue to, to, to keep that conversation going. Um, because if you notice in the, in the New York Mag article, uh, Joss Whedon is only trying to dispel the situation using the same cover, the same excuse that he used in the Forbes article, which was I did color correction on everything. I did, I did yeah. color correction on everything. It's 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 all a, it's all the same thing. That's not what the accusation was, and I think people know that's not what the accusation was. 
And I think people are well aware that the erasure of people of color from the film, and as well as the addition, right? He's, he doesn't talk at all about all the non-people of color that he added to the film. Added to it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He, he, he doesn't talk about that at all, uh, nor does he talk about the erasure of all the other people of color. Because mm-hmm. to say that Cyborg's storyline doesn't make sense, okay, even if you thought that, what about Iris West? Yeah. What about taking those characters and making them make sense rather than erasing them from the film and mm-hmm. adding these uh, adding these non-people of color characters that don't yeah. add anything to the actual movie. So yeah. when you start looking at it that way and you go, well, that could make sense, but why didn't you do the more common sense thing since you've had all these people and these resources available to you? Then you go, okay, yeah, no, you're, you're full of it. And all the mm-hmm. lies he told in that piece anyway, I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous. If, if the best you've got when yeah. someone is accusing you of... of of engaging in in race based uh, discrimination, if the best you've got is that person is was tricked into thinking I'm racist, <laughs> then, then you got you got a you got a real big problem. So he hit uh, all I mean, the tropes, though. Yeah, he hit all the tropes. You know, well, and so. even the reporter, even the reporter, you know, they take special pains, and this is how I can tell because I don't I don't care about the bad actor thing. Like clearly, mm-hmm. he's just he's just upset. He's in his feelings, and he's. He wants to lash out in some way, right? Yeah. Um, But even how the reporter attempts to label me, they say a young Mm -hmm. black actor, Ray Fisher. I'm like, I'm 34 years old. That's, I wouldn't consider that to be young at all. I've been in this business since I was 18 years old, Mm -hmm. professionally. I I have plenty of experience in the business. I've cut my teeth on stage. And you're going to talk about having to go ahead and get the discipline down when it comes Mm -hmm. to learning lines and this and that. Like, it doesn't get, uh, it doesn't get more rigorous than that. than doing repertory theater, right? It doesn't yeah. get more rigorous than that. So, uh, but these are things like, you know, yeah. the, the, these folks can just throw out there and, uh, you know, the general public may not have knowledge of the ins and outs. They'll just read it and it'll affect them. And sometimes it may affect them in ways that they're not, they're not, that, they're, that they're not aware. So when they hear a young black actor, they go, well, first he's a black actor. He's a young black actor. Okay, well, he probably didn't know what he was doing. You know, he probably- Inexperienced. Mm-hmm. Inexperienced, yeah. so on and so forth, yeah. which, is, which is not the case. So mm-hmm. uh, I, haven't, I haven't spoken on that framing just yet because ultimately folks will continue to do that. Just because I may look young does not mean that I am young. I appreciate I mean, the compliments. If <laughs> you were a pregnant woman, I mean, right now at 34, you would be, uh, the term geriatric would be in your chart. I'm just saying. What it really- I'm just saying, yes. Oh my Geriatric gosh. pregnancy um, at 34. So I'm just saying, I mean, you've yeah, got a yeah. point. You're, you're you're, you're yeah. like headed toward middle age there. So um, thank you for reminding <laughs> I Listen, I'm, I'm going to be 42 this year. I don't it's mind fine. bursting it's that bubble for you. You don't, you don't, you don't, look, you don't look at it all. No. So thank I'm, you. I'm, pr- I'm glad I'm proud of it. But um, so for me, it's like being able to dispel all of the nonsense, all of the conjecture. I could literally take a day and sit on Instagram live for like three hours and talk about all the things in the piece that was said that didn't make sense all the things in the piece that relies instead what i chose to do was combat ridiculousness with sort of ridiculous twitter you know uh 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 not even hyperbole but just like throwing it out there in a in a different kind of way because i you know i want to let these folks know that you're not going to deter me you haven't hurt my feelings right um and I think the public at large, you know, they, they get it. They see, they do. They see how ridiculous it is. They do. So, and that's why we make fun. Um, Hashtag mal- uh, malevolent force. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I've read, I was gonna, actually going to go get a copy of that uh, New York mag and, and frame it. And I, 
And uh, <laughs> underneath, I'll, I'll put a, a, a fake quote and it'll say, Joss Whedon reviews Ray as a malevolent toward the force. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you uh, go. Just, 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 <laughs> I, probably, I probably won't do that, just FYI. But if I do come across one of my, I can't promise you I won't pick one up just to, just as a keepsake because I can't believe something like this actually went to print. Like it's It's pretty scary and impressive simultaneously as a journalist i'm, I'm just saying it, it to me i i there are people that should be held accountable who should be worried about their jobs at something like this and i'm i'm independent i mean that that's yeah that's a whole nother conversation right there oh it gets um, it gets you into thinking too you're like well the next day because i had seen that uh, they had a good morning america segment that popped up and i think the reporter was on the segment uh, either trying to explain the piece or defending the piece particularly the, the part about uh uh gall speaking mm-hmm. and firing back at joss which wasn't firing back it was essentially just say saying your piece that's not mm-hmm. firing back mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm thinking, well, if this reporter has to go on Good Morning America to try to sway what the angle or what the focus of the piece is, chances are the piece does not stand on its own, which clearly not successful. You know, it, it is not. And folks may be trying to cover uh, cover themselves because if they can set the narrative on a big show like Good Morning America and say, well, this is what the piece was about, then anybody that reads it after that point will go on with that particular spin. So yeah, uh, I got a sense that if Joss Whedon isn't suing them already... I, I mean, you know, I, I you mean, should. I can't tell you one way or another. I mean, when you say it, when you say it on on recording, mm-hmm. people can use it however they want. So um, he yeah. should have known better. But I think I think he thought he was protected in that. As a reporter, I would be afraid of being sued. I mean, if I were if I were the reporter, I would be afraid of being sued, seeing the way yeah. it came out. That That's well, me personally, you know, coming from a creative look, side, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at it, it took 10 months for the article to come out. Like they were Ten talking months? about this. Like, this was they said they, they interviewed Whedon back in the spring. So the fact wow. that they held on to it for so long, yeah, some of that information, and they don't, and they don't specify, they don't specify every point in time at which they talked to these folks, right, over mm-hmm. the course of this, and that was seems like it was purposefully done uh, in order to make it all seem immediately relevant, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, it's 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 looking at all that stuff and being able to decipher it. it, it it's it's having a critical think about you know critical think in a way that we may not be used to in just reading information. We like you said earlier. You know, when you see something out there, you just assume that the reporter did their due diligence because they're not the person talking. But we're at an age now where if you don't say it yourself, somebody else is going to twist it up for you. So just go ahead yep. out there and get do it your done. Own video, do your yeah. own thing. You've been listening to the Creators in COVID podcast. Many thanks to Vero for their partnership in this podcast, for their support, for their promotion prowess and just for being the greatest sponsors ever. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, John. Thanks, Christine. And thanks everyone else, including you, the Vero users. Thank you to Ray Fisher for sitting down with us and being so candid and sharing his story. And thank you to all of you out there for listening and following along these past 10 weeks. It's been a journey, but we've been here. And hopefully you've learned that no matter how you got through, you got through. And that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing we need to know. Thank you and stay tuned for news about season two. Bye.